morning, church. Good to see you guys all here with us today. Hey, before we dive into the Word, I want to tell you about a very special event that we have coming up. It's on September 13th. That's a Wednesday night. September 13th, on Wednesday night, we are going to be having a night of prayer. I could go on and on again about how I am so thankful that we do things like this, but I just want to simply say that if in this world that we live in, you are growing tired of things that feel fake and counterfeit and artificial, and whether or not they're true or they're actually false, this is a night where I truly do believe that you can come in and have a real encounter with a real God and meet with Him, talk with Him, experience what it is like to be with God and with His people, and I pray that you're there. I pray that that is something you long for to know without a doubt that you've had an encounter with God. And I know that that's going to happen that Wednesday night. And I could go on and on about all the other reasons why I think you should be there, but that is the number one. That is the number one. And so I pray you would mark your calendars, be even thinking about who you could be inviting in. That's going to be September 13th, Wednesday night. And we'll start at 7 o'clock. We'll go until we're done. Chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to go all the way through this section about the full assurance that we are given in our faith. We're going to go from 19 to 25 today, and really lean into specifically verses 24 to 25. I love hearing pages turn when I come in real quick in the digital library. This just doesn't, it's just not quite as cool. Um, read the Word of God together. Matter of fact, it's holiday weekend. Most of y'all get to rest tomorrow. Let's do this. Let's stand. Add an honor for God's Word. We'll read it. Follow along. If you don't have one, just listen. Take it to heart. It's the Word of God. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, these are all verses for today, verse 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray now as we come to it that it would change us, that it would not be something that leaves us where we are when we came in, that this word would be living and active. I don't stand on the authority of my gift. I don't even stand on the authority of my study. I stand on the authority of your word and its power to make humans different, its power to melt cold hearts and turn them into hearts of flesh, its power to take scales that were on eyes that kept them from seeing you for the loving, caring, true, kind, and merciful God you are, for them to be able to see you as a loving Father that you really are. 
for ears that had been stuffed full of reasons and excuses not to surrender. I pray that they're able to hear your truth and that your truth is your love and what's made available through your Son, Jesus Christ, changes us forever. In your name, amen. Well, today, before we get into the passage that we're going to navigate through, I want to put words to something that I think most all of us are feeling as we live this life here in 2023 in America. Maybe you've not put words to it just yet, but I think it's something that we're all feeling. I want to kind of put some labels on it so that we can all kind of get on the same page and we can navigate how God's Word actually helps us with this tension that we feel between these two things. The two things I'm talking to you about today are the differences and the tension between content and connection. Content and connection. Let's talk about content for a second. If you have not lived under a rock for the last 10 years, you have noticed that now, in 2023, we have more content than we ever thought possible. With the invention of shorts and reels and TikToks, we can find more content than we ever knew what to do with. You can get on any streaming platform and you have an unlimited ability to intake all sorts of content from the most weird, niche, anime, foreign stuff in a deep, dark country somewhere else to the stuff that we all like, like cat videos or videos of people falling down. Or, you know, those are the things that is the content that is just readily available to all of us. On top of that, there's the world's content. Even for us who maybe are followers of Christ, call themselves Christians, we have all sorts of content too. If you lived in the 1940s, you would go to church at the church. It's like, there's our town. There's the church right there. And if the preacher was a snoozer, like, he was putting you to sleep every week, but you just felt guilty, so you kept going. If you wanted to hear somebody who was different or better, you were just kind of out of luck, unless you had a car or a wagon or a really fast horse. Uh, maybe that things were not that bad in the 40s. I don't know what the 40s were like, okay? Give me a break. But now, listen, if I just preach a dud today, do you know what you can do? You can get in your car. You probably, some of you probably have cars nice enough where you can just be like, hey, Siri, play a preacher. And it'll just play it. Like, you'll just be able to hear somebody better than me. Like, they'll just tell you what you need to hear. It'll be so good. And it'll be great. And you'll be like, oh, I just feel it. I got a word today. Trinity Gibson. Like, you can do that. You can get whatever content that you want. As far as church music is concerned, same thing. You can listen to whatever song. You can get your feels and your poetic tone. And you don't have to come in here to feel like, oh, Both godly content and worldly content is all at our fingertips. It is being shoved down our throats. If anybody else is actually sick of advertisement, I just feel like I'm trying to be sold every breath I take. So, now, let's talk about connection. World, we're, we're shoving, we're being shoved content down our throat. We have more of it than we ever could imagine, both good and bad content. This is good and bad. I'm not saying that's evil, but we have a lot of content. But what I believe we are missing is true, deep connection. Now, this is where our culture is a little bit different. I think maybe in some of the culture. Let's go back to the 40s. In the 40s, I think because you had neighbors, because you had neighborhoods, because you had city blocks, because not everybody 
somebody pulled their car into their back cave and pressed a button and the thing went down. But you have to actually like feed people when they got home and people cut their own grass and they were doing their own things and kids kids did this crazy thing, this wild crazy thing kids used to do called playing outside. Um, it was crazy out there. Um, and, and you could see them and you had neighborhoods and things and people had to, like there was this thing called a block party at some point in existence. I never, I, it's wild out there. These things used to happen, but they don't anymore. And because they don't happen anymore, we are starved for connection, even though we have had an abundance of content. I'm talking deep connection. Now, some of you are raising your hands and like, bro, I'm so connected. I am friends on Facebook with the guy who sat next to me in third grade at elementary school. I, you're, I'm, I'm connected, man. And I'm part of a, a, a Facebook group for people who drive the same vehicle that I do. And we talk about ways to fix my certain vehicle. And I'm in this weird group of people who, you know, have purple hair and love the hula hoop online. And we talk about purple hair hula hoopers. And it's like, this is what we do. And I can be connected with these purple hair hula hoopers. Oh, don't say that really fast. But here's, here's why I'm saying This is why I'm talking about all Hear me. We, though we have more content and more surface level connection than any other generation ever in the existence of this planet. Why are we so lonely? Like, why? Why are we so lonely? Nobody listens. Nobody gets it. If we are so connected and we have the greatest content, why is mental health at an all-time low? I think there's something We look around and we see, even if you want to go to divorce rates, we see divorce rates inside the church and outside the church. They're, they're really basically exactly the same. But here's what I'm telling you. Divorces that end because somebody had an affair, they're not really in because somebody had an affair. They end because somebody was lonely. Somebody didn't feel like somebody understood who they really were, what was really going on. To make matters worse, we went through this crazy thing on the offer. Remember, it's called COVID, all right? And COVID said, you go to your house and you'd be extra lonely. We're going to get, we call we call get lonely quarantine. And if you were essential, you could go get out of loneliness. But if you weren't essential, you had to stay lonely. And we all went and did that for a while. And we got more connections, right? We got on Zoom and we looked at each other, you know, did our Zoom stuff, did our FaceTime, did all that connection. But somehow, I think we are actually from up here and in here. I think we're worse now than we were when we before we got through COVID. At least that's the way I feel. I, I look at um, teenagers, young adults, adolescents, college students, and I see this rising epidemic of, of mental health, mental crisis, depression, anxiety, suicide in 14 to 18 year olds. And again, they're, they're super connected. They've got all the content in the world. Like there's nobody for them. There's nobody who understands. There's nobody who gets them. And look, the, the thing about dopamine is we were created to experience the joy that comes from unconditional acceptance. We were created to feel the connection and what it's like to be a part of something bigger, to be a part of something matter, to be a part of a group of people where I'm loved and I'm accepted and people challenge me and hold me accountable. We were created to be a part of one of those things where we get deep soul-level connection. But instead, Satan has got us really okay with just the 
dopamine hit that comes from seeing a little red number at the top of something that tells us that somebody likes something we said that we don't even really know. And so we just have to sing the song, right? It is well. No, that's not totally. It is well. It is well with your what? Confession time. I felt like a little bit of a hypocrite saying today. Maybe you did too. Because on a soul level, do you really feel well? Like, really? Now, some of you are like me. You're like, I'm going to sing it until I feel it. It is well, soul. <laughs> I'm like, it's well. It's going to, I ain't cutting up until it's well. Like, take it till you make it. It's well. I think if you're honest, man, you, you sing those songs and sing it as well in the soul, as well in the soul, through it all, and the hope is in you. We can sing those things and say those things. But I think that probably the biggest contributing factor to us maybe feeling like that we are not, something is not well in my soul, because I feel like I'm out here on an island. I can't tell anybody what's really going on. I can't tell anybody what I'm really struggling with. I can't tell anybody how I really feel, how nervous I really am, or how barely I'm holding it together, because nobody gets me, nobody understands me. What I want to offer you today is the solution that I do think is found in God's Word. And I really, I believe it's in every problem in my being. This is the one of the things that I know, without a doubt, the world and the culture in which we live in cannot supply and cannot give us in a way that will truly satisfy the craving that's actually within our soul. To feel soul level connection. That can only come from the body of Christ. Next week, we're going to talk more about this crazy thing that the church has called fellowship. Y'all ever. Fellowship. And you have to say it with an A. It ain't no O W in there. We're in the South. It's fellowship. All right? Say it with me. One, two, three. Fellowship. There it is. All right? Even here at NCC, we have a fellowship hall. I don't really know where it is, but apparently it's somewhere around here. The fellowship hall. Next week, we're going to talk about this because this is what the church has pointed the market on. And it is this, in my opinion, one of its absolute best resources, one of its prized possessions, the fellowship of the believer. But today, I want to talk to you. Biblically speaking, about how we actually stay connected on a soul level with each other and what the church, this local congregation, is really all about. If you will, go with uh, me to Hebrews chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 19 through 21. In this section from 19 to 25, this passage to the church of Hebrews has been trying to encourage them how to do certain things in their faith. Now, after they know who Jesus is, I know who Jesus is, now I know what to do because of who Jesus is. He's telling them the things that they need to now do to be able to live out the reality of what they have in Jesus. And we're going to see the things that he tells them to do here. First of all, he says, Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy place. He's saying you have access to enter in the holy places because of the blood of Jesus by this new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, what he's explaining to them here is you, by Jesus, have been given access to enter in and to be connected to God. And we talked about this last week and the week before that. This is not something that we are working to. This is something that if you're in Christ, it is in you. That's why he says in the next verse, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We talked about week one as we were navigating through this, this let us passage. And he says, let us draw near. It's not I work myself up and I do all these right things and don't do the bad things, and then I somehow get closer to God. It's realizing, no, if I'm in Christ, then Jesus comes and he makes his home in my heart. Near is right here. If I feel distance, it's distance in my head, but it's not distance in my heart if I'm in Christ. So, first thing he tells them to do is let us draw near. Then he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The hope is saying, my hope is not in what I could do to get there. The hope is in the one who is in here and his life and his strength being manifest through my life as it dies away, as it falls away, my old ways thinking, acting, doing, eating, drinking, all of those things begin to take the back seat as Jesus in me comes more and more to the forefront because he's my hope. I could not do this without him and I will not be able to hold fast and not waver unless it's his strength in me. Because he's the one who found me. He's the one who will keep it. He's the one who saved it. So he says, let us draw near, let us hold fast. And then we get to the third little bit of lettuce here. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day draw near. So what he's doing here in this passage, the big thing, if you go back up to verse 19, where he starts, the first things that come after any time you read in the Bible, it says, therefore, the first thing he is telling them is, therefore, friends, therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, family, you have access. You can get to the holy places now. Now, the question becomes, how do I access this access I now have in Jesus? Jesus has now flung wide the door to help me connect to God. He says in the Word, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he is not just the one who makes the way, but he is the one who guides us along this way because that way is through him. So how do I access what I now have access to? How do I get to what is made available to me? That's what he's explaining here. The key to understanding how I get to what I have access to now in Jesus is understanding that I cannot access what I have access to in him by myself. I cannot do it. Just me. I cannot do it by just going into my little old prayer closet and praying to my iPhone. In this passage, what did he not say? He did not say, let you draw near. Let you hold fast. Let you stir every time. He talks about how do we get to what he mentions at the beginning of verse 19. Every time he talks about receiving and entering into and approaching with confidence what you have in Jesus. He says, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us stir up one another. It is impossible without each other. Which is why he says what he does in verse 24. Let us consider. Let us consider how to stir one another up into this life. So friends, what this means is this is an us thing. It means that though your faith it may be personal. Your faith was never meant to be something that remains private. It's never just to be yours. It's not just your personal relationship with Jesus. The difference between what I'm talking about here is the difference between an aggregation and a congregation. An aggregation is just a group of people who come together and get together in one certain spot. So when you go out to eat at La Perilla today after church, you're just in an aggregation. Your life isn't connected to so-and-so over there. 
maybe you're eating, we're both eating fajitas because the smoke trail both came to both of our tables. That's as much connection as you have. Your life isn't connected to them. But what we are is not an aggregation, we're a congregation. It's the difference between if I had in my hand four dozen marbles. And, and again, marbles are nice, they're round, they're glass, they're, they have this little fancy thing on the inside with the squares and the different colors. But if I hold four dozen marbles in my hands right here and I just drop them, what's going to happen? Trip hazard, like, you know, they're going to go everywhere. Because they weren't connected. But if I take a cluster of grapes, and I have a cluster of grapes in my hand, I could drop it, and, you know, maybe some will scoot off, but for the most part, I can shake this, and this cluster of grapes is going to hold together. Why? Because they are connected. That is the definition of what a congregation is. But in our American culture, we have treated what we do as church as an aggregation. We're just a bunch of marbles, and for one or one and a half hours a week, we gather together, we're all trying to do the same thing, and somebody yells at us for 45 minutes, and then we scatter. Instead of going, man, our lives are inextricably connected because we are part of the body of Christ. This is why Jesus, no coincidence, by himself, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If anybody abides in me, I will abide in him. It is impossible to bear unless you abide in me. This is Jesus' words here. Now, we even hear that passage and we go, because again, we read the Bible through the lens of me. We read that and go, oh, I've got to abide in Jesus. Okay, uh, let me Google uh, ways to abide in Jesus. And I look at my ways to abide in Jesus and it's like, read the Bible, do this, do this, do this. And I'm like, okay, great, I'm going to go abide in Jesus. And we miss out on the fact, guys, that it's not just that you're abiding in Jesus. It's that you're abiding with Jesus and the rest of the local church, and we're in this together. I'm a part of his bride. I'm a part of his family. And that's the part I know Jesus loves when we lock eyes with him and go, Jesus, I'm following you. Jesus, me, Jesus, we're in this together. But I, I, I truly do believe sometimes Jesus may look down or, or may be going, okay, I love it that you're just super laser focused on me and you, but your brother over here is struggling. And I need you for a second to get maybe less consumed with having a cathartic experience with me that you go serve them. This is what the church is really about. And it happens when we consider each other. We have to be a church that is considered. Let's talk about this word consider. Because the first thing, when he gives a mark, so what does it look like to actually be a biblical church? First thing he said is consider. Now, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had an encounter with somebody and you were just like, man, that person's so considerate? They're so considerate. Raise your hands the last time you bumped into somebody and you were like, they are so considerate. It was a woman. Raise your hand. Be, be honest. Okay? I have a theory, and, and my theory is that women are way more considerate than men. Um, and I may be wrong, but I, I don't think I am. Considerate means I knew what to do without you telling me what to do. Now, men, now, now here's where you go, oh, okay, I get what you're saying. Because, like, because, <laughs> guys, look, we, like, again, this is like three times a week, and if you know Calpo, I'm just going to let you guys into our laundry here. It's like, hey, I will totally help you. I just need you to tell me what to do. All right? Guys? All right? I mean, am, I, am I at your house yet? All right? It's much more natural for maybe women to enter into this. I just realized this was going on. Nobody had to tell me anything. I just went and I did this thing, and I shared it. 
wife can know somebody that she's friends with is having a bad day and, and something just like she's just going to buy the grocery store or don't buy this. Or sometimes like something will show up at our house. I'm like, how, why is this here? And he'll be like, well, Katie, you know, I was having a rough week. She bought this stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't do anything. I'm like, oh, that's what considerate looks like. And, and when it comes to being considerate in the body of Christ, it means I am not just looking out for me and mine. I'm not just looking out for what's happening in my life, but I'm actually taking my life and I'm saying, I'm going to press pause, forget about this for a second, and I'm going to be active and attentive to the needs of other people. I'm going to be looking for ways to meet those needs. I'm going to be in a good enough relationship when the needs arise, I know what they need. I'm not going to, when so-and-so is having a bad week, Jessica and uh, Brittany Rose, really good friends. What Jessica knows is that if Brittany has a great week, don't bring her chocolate. Brittany's one of those strange people who just hates chocolate for some reason. I don't know, it's weird. But she hates chocolate, so she'd bring her those gross. I don't know why you would ruin the perfect original Oreo, but she'll bring her one of the vanilla Oreos with the cream on it because those are the ones that she likes. Because she's considerate. And the point that I'm trying to make, and the point that I'm trying to make here is for us as individuals, if we are going to be a church where people really do feel like they matter, this is something we have to do. We don't, it's not an option for us. So he says, let us consider how to show one another to love and good works. Now, first part is consider. Now what are we considering? Let's go to the next part. He says, let's consider how. All right, we're supposed to consider how to do something. The thing we're supposed to consider how to do is to stir up one another. To stir up one another. Now, I thought this meant one thing my entire life of studying the Bible. As I got deep dive, nose dive studying on this this week, I realized it's kind of something different. Most of your uh, translations, they will have this as stir up. Maybe um, some may have it even as encourage. Some may have it as spur on. And I think there's so many different translations because maybe the guys who were translating this from Greek to English were a little bit afraid that if you just let it out there as the real Greek word that it is, it may be a little bit misconstrued. I personally think spur is as close as you can get to the real word. Let me show you what it really means. It's paroxysmos. It's a provocation. That's the Greek word for spur right there in that verse. Paroxysmos. It means a provocation, provoking, which literally jabs or cuts someone so they must respond. Been to a church and you're like, man, these people in that church are just aggravating. You might have been in a place where there's some holy people. Aggravating. Spur. Spur. I mean, think about from like riding a horse. If you're a cowboy with spurs on, like you put them in the back of the horse and they're like, it jabs, it does something, and it makes the horse respond. So when he's saying, spur one another up to good deeds, spur one another on to good deeds, what he's actually saying here is be close enough to grab somebody, to hold somebody accountable aggravate somebody, to cause irritation, that, omit, that cause irritation in their heart, in their mind, in their soul, that makes them do something different. Mm. Some of you are like, I love this preaching. Yes. I have the spiritual gift of irritation and aggravation. Let me get it. Um, let's, let's be cautious. Here, here, here's why this has to happen. Let me talk to you about your sins. My sins. My worst sins and your worst sins are the ones we can't see. The ones we don't know to ask Jesus to help us with. 
my worst sins are the ones that I can't see in the mirror, I don't know exist. They're the ones that only you guys can see in me. It's the things that will get me because I don't know they're there. The worst punch is the one you don't see coming. The worst things are the ones you don't know are there. And usually, those are the ones that everybody knows you've got. And you don't realize. Now, these are the things he is saying that if you want to have deep soul-level connection with human beings, if you want to be a part of a biblical church, not just a thing where we come in, you gather, and you leave, because here's the deal. You can have perfect attendance at church. You can never miss a week and never be a part of a biblical congregation. But to be a part of a biblical congregation means these things happen. It means we are considering each other. It means we are spurring each other on. Now listen, how many of you, and again, this is not all the time, so go to church, don't go to light and bolt, get you. When you came into church today, did you walk in just going, man, I just can't wait to see someone today. God, just send some people my way so I can just tell them and encourage them. God, let me have that hard conversation with you. Please, God, I just, I need to, I need to, I need to take her to coffee yesterday. So I'm going to have that hard conversation. I'm going to spur her on. Did we think like that when we showed up? Or did we kind of show up here today like we were showing up at Rita Center? You know, go in and get my snacks and come sit down. pastors preach these, they're like, come to church. Don't neglect meeting together. This is what everybody leveraged during COVID. They're like, oh, oh, we've got to meet together. We've got to meet together. We've got to meet together. And there was, you know, the ones who wanted to get together really fast. They're like, oh, we're not supposed to neglect this. We've got to meet together. We've got to meet together. And most pastors hit this verse and they start beating up on their congregation. Y'all need to come to church. Y'all need to come to church. Y'all need to come to church. But let's be honest. If this passage is telling me that I'm supposed to confront and aggravate you in your regularly scheduled program so much so that you change, is the cafe really the best place to do that? Goodness me. Your row is definitely not the best place to do that. Just reach over, you're annoying! Like, you're not going to holler down your row and tell people that. You know, you got the little time, hey, turn some, somebody, you're glad to see them. I'm glad to see you. Also, you're miserable here. And I wish you thanks. Like, we don't do that at church. This, this environment in here not the place for that. This is why a biblical church will not just gather collectively in rooms like this. A biblical church will gather together in groups. That's why so many of you are having a hard time feeling like you're not lonely is because all you do is come in here. And, and we will meet some of those needs. People will get to know you. Like this church, I really do believe feels like family almost every Sunday that we open our doors. But you won't have people who really know your name, who really know what's going on. And you won't get people in your life who can call you on your crud unless you show up in a group, unless you invite people and let people in, unless you confess, unless you have people who can call you on those things. It's not going to happen. And so we've got to be people who are willing to go in and burn, to be willing to know I've got enough relational equity with you right now that I can tell you that you're playing favorites with your kids. I see you playing favorites with your kids. And if you keep playing favorites with your kids, you're going to have a really rough thing happen in the years to come. This is a sin. I know you can't see it, but I love you enough. I, 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 I want the best for you and your family. So, brother, I'm going to tell you this. This is what I see. We've got to have people like that in our lives who can tell us those things, who walk us through those things. If not, 
very susceptible. So what I want to do, and I'll give you an action step right here in a minute. You can do it one of two ways. You can text GROUP to 770-450-1555 if you want to be a part of GROUP. You're not in GROUP. This, this will happen kind of at church. not really the best place for it. But the best place for this to happen, where this really goes, is in the context of small group, campus group, or many women's Bible study. This is where this happens. If you're not in one of those, text that number, or you can take one of those next step cards right in front of you. You can fill it out if you prefer to do it that way. Let's keep going. Next thing he's going to show what it means to be a bridge of faith. If we stir up one another to love and good works. To love and good works. So he's not just going like, hey, just think about these things. The whole reason I'm spurring you on, the whole reason I'm aggravating you or irritating you and, and, and cutting you a little bit to change your action is because I want there to be work. I want things to work for you. I want out of love-rooted work to come forward in your life. At the end of the day, it's, it's just to make it as most simplest as I can. It's going, do you love Jesus? Yes. Do you understand that he loves you? Okay. If you know that Jesus loves you and you love Jesus, then your life should have some action to it. We should show that we love Jesus by what we do and the work that is lived out in our lives. That means that if I am going to say that I love Jesus, I do not get a pass to not love his church. You cannot love Jesus in isolation. Say that again. You cannot love Jesus in isolation. You cannot love Jesus and neglect his wrath. We cannot be those people who go, yeah, I love Jesus, but church isn't for me. It'd be like you saying, yeah, I love Trent, but Jessica is, mm, I don't like her. Like, well, we have a problem now. And Jesus is the same way. It's like, you don't like my bride, there's a problem. You refuse to get connected with my bride. You, you refuse to get to know my bride. You refuse to let my bride serve you and care for you. So we, that's what I created her to do. That's what she's here to do. We have a problem now, and we got to work that out before we can ever be as close as we should be. So he says, we work in love. goes on in the next passage, verse 25, starts the one that we like to lean into. It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as to see the day so he says, don't neglect meeting together. He's giving them some prayers. And what he's saying here is, guys, we've got to stay connected. We can't give up on meeting together. We can't give up on, on showing up and being together in these places. Because if we're not here, we don't see each other. And I don't know about you, but as fast as life seems to be going, one of the things that I just have become more and more aware of is that if something is out of sight to me, it is out of mind. If I'm not, if I'm not seeing it, I'm having a hard time remembering it. Which, again, I think this is a, a great scheme of the enemy. Like, what would it imagine? Okay, what can I do to help them from seeing the people that are right in front of them? What if I allowed them to see thousands of people in 10 seconds, 13 seconds, 30 second increments all day long? So if they miss out on the life that was going on around them, because they're looking at life that way. stay connected. You've got to be able to be someone who says, I'm going to be there because when I'm there, I know that I am seen and other people are seeing me. Around here at NCC, we talk about these two words at every single one of our connecting point classes that we have. We talk about needed and known. 
reason we lean into these is because we believe that God created every single person to be able to experience these two realities. He created every single person to be needed. That means that every single one of you here, there is a need that only you could fulfill to be able to serve this local congregation as far as our connection, our ability to bear fruit that our city is able to see and witness and, and hopefully even taste of. In order for that to happen, we need your gifts, your proclivities, your backstory, your wisdom, your compassion, your empathy. We need what you have. I talked to somebody out in the lobby before, and they're like, yeah, I have a, 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 a barbecue smoking business. And I was like, my mind's going like, a million miles out. Okay, you got a barbecue smoking. We're going to do this event where 2,000 people are in our parking lot. What's, what goes great with a crowd? Like, smoke me. And I'm like, yes, praise God. Uh, <laughs> and so, like, this is, this is where we got to understand, like, there's things that you could do to glorify God through NCC that I could never do in a million years. And I'm so over us just going, like, the most important thing is what happens in this little black piece of carpet up here. It's not. It is so not the most important. It is totally important. This is where God's Word preached. This is where we sing hymns to God together. I'm telling you, what happens up here in the gift by those who are up here is not the most important thing that happens in the church. It's on us. On us. No, that's needed. We need it. The other side is we have to be a church where people can actually be known. And it's hard to be known if you don't show up at places where you can be known. It'd be hard for my kids to know me as a dad. If I never come to dinner, if I'm, I get home once they're already in bed, if I never show up to their game, every weekend I take a speaking engagement. Are they going to know me? No, they're not going to know me because I'm not there. And, and look, I love you. We can't know you if you're here once a month. We just can't. And you can get frustrated and feel like, well, I'm just not getting connected. Nobody called me when I missed 14 weeks in a row. Every other month, and so we're sorry that we missed you. I, 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 I'm laying this all out there. This, this is where it's a two-way street, and it's understanding that the church is not sky zone. Okay, that's a bouncy trampoline place to take your kids and your grandkids to. We are not sky zone. You don't get a membership here and then say. Y'all exist to serve me and make sure I have a good time. No, that is not that is not what this is. So where you come in and then you don't like kind of what we how we rearrange the sky zone and you go I'm going to leave sky zone and go to the other trampoline place on the other side of town because they do trampoline stuff my way. That's not who we are. If you're really part of the church, you really are part of a place where you're known, a place where people can know what's going on in your life, people can know. When you have those moments in life where stuff hits the fan, people know how to step in, how to help, how to be relationally relevant to the real needs that are going on in your life, have actual sympathy and empathy, and know how to meet not just general needs, but your exact and specific needs. That's what it means to be needed and known. And we stir each other up. Those who have needed help, we stir each other up so that we can continue to meet together. We're not going to neglect those things. So what that maybe means for us is that we get a little bit more consistent in gathering. I'll tell you this for sure. I, it used to be this way in the church world. And there's been a paradigm shift. The, the old thinking as far as churches go was if you can get a big crowd on Sunday, you'll have a better chance of getting people to go to the midweek stuff, group, classes, all that other stuff. Here's what I'm finding has actually happened in the church world. It is flipped completely on its head. 
when I watch somebody start serving, you know where they start doing more? They start filling up pew more. When I watch somebody start getting in a, in a small group, where do they start doing? They actually start serving here more. So what we are actually finding is when we are engaged midweek, our rate of showing up on Sunday and gathering together in the collective body where we all gather around the Word of God, where we all serve, where we all see this group of body come together, that's really when it is the... It's, what's the right word? Sundays become the supplement to where what happens midweek and what happens when we're serving together, that is the main force. And as I read my Bible, more and more and more and more, I see that to actually be what the Spirit has told the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the next one, Hebrews 10, 25. So we're encouraging one another when we're meeting together. He says, don't neglect me together. Come in and have a drink. But when you're here, encourage one another. Now, for those of you who are like, yeah, I can't wait to go aggravate people in the name of Jesus. What the pastor under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit does is make sure that we're not going to swing that pendulum too far that way. It's like, ah, I love to be the confronter. Ah, I love just putting on my, my um, magnifying glass and just go looking at everybody else's eyes and how they're screwing up. I can't wait to go tell them how they're screwing up. Remember, if you're going to have any sort of conversation with somebody to tell them, here's what you're messing up, first of all, examine the speck in your own eye before you or the plank in your eye before you take the speck out of there. And two, make sure you have enough relational equity to pass the check that you're getting ready to pass when you tell them what you're going to tell them. So, the other side of this is encouragement. And where spur is confrontation, encouragement is comfort. He's saying, if you're a part of a local body of Christ, what you should be experiencing is encouragement. You should be experiencing people speaking life into you, saying, hey, here's what I see in you, and I can't wait to see how God moves and works in your life. Now this, this is much different than the confrontation part. Like, you're not going to go pull somebody to the mat in the cafe. But you know what you can do in the cafe? You can come up and say, please, that green bean casserole you brought to my house was awesome. I cannot believe that... It was so good. This green bean casserole I've ever had. Jesus must have thought you had to put green bean casserole. Like, Jesus. You can encourage them in that way in the cafe, and nobody's going, mm-hmm. that's people going like, oh man, that's so nice. You know, I want some green bean casserole. But <laughs> that can happen out there. You, you can see a teenager in the hallway at church. Now, again, you're not going to confront them with their bad attitude that you know they've been having with their parents right there in front of all their friends. Hey, I heard you didn't you know, back talking to your mom. Better quit back talking to your mom. Right? And, you know, like, like, you would not have that conversation with a high schooler at church on Sunday morning. But, you know what you can do? You can say, man, I feel like I see you here every single Sunday. And I just want to tell you I'm tired of you consistently showing up. I love being able to worship at a church where I know the next generation is hearing the gospel. I'm so glad to see you. I'm so proud of you. And you know what's wild about encouragement? Is there is no greater investment I believe you can make in the kingdom of God than encouragement. It, it is one of the things, like, I would love for us to be a church that is, <laughs> dare I say, um, scandalously encouraging. Like, so encouraging that people hear us encouraging somebody and they're like, Boy, that's a little too much. Like, I don't know if that's how good they really are. You're really hyping them up, you know? You might be setting them up. Like, I would rather us be that than just be like, how we usually are. It's like, oh, we'll wait and see. You know? They're teenagers. 
Or, you know, I, well, I know they're going through some marriage stuff. It's great to see them back at church. You know, I don't want to go tell them how proud of I am of them for working some things out because, you know, I know they've gone back and forth a few different times. Huh. I would rather us be scandalously over encouraging than to keep our mouths Because here's what's crazy about investment, or, or the investment of encouragement. Investment of encouraging is like me putting a, taking a penny out of my wallet and putting it in your hand and it magically turning into a hundred dollars. It costs you so little to encourage somebody. To just put an arm around a teenager and go, man, I'm so glad you're here. I love seeing you every single Sunday. That's a hundred dollars to them. It costs you nothing. To see a single mom walking to church. You need to see a single mom. Man, it's great. I'm so proud of you here. Here's what I love to do. I talked to the early service. There's less wheelchairs and walkers and everything in this, in this service. First service, there are. Listen, do me a big, big old giant favor. You see somebody walking to church with a walker, a wheelchair, pain, one of them giant boot things. If you for real see somebody wearing a scooter one, those are the real cool ones. Like if, if somebody is in their 70s rocking with them scooters, that's, that's, that's a whole level of utterly gangster right there. I love that. Um, if you see somebody show up here with that, oh my God, will you please just go, look at you. You're not letting anything keep you from this. You have no idea what that does for my faith. The next time I felt too late watching a ball game, you know what I'm going to remember? You, right now, walking in here. Just <laughs> I'm going to go, if, 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 she, if Ethel's coming in on her scooter, then by God, I'm not going to let five hours of sleep be my excuse to skip. You know the older, like, it's on both ends of the spectrum. So I'm kind of talking to my generation in the middle. Like, our, our teenagers, man, they're going through it. The early, uh, older part of our congregation, they're, they're consistent. They're showing up. Come hell or high water. They're, they're in here. And, and so I, I'm looking to us to, to be a church of encouragement, to be a church that lifts each other up, to be a, to be a church that realizes this is such a small investment in life. And I can just do an amazing work by doing this. Right here, you know, all those people down there in kids' ministry, student ministry, who are wiping your kids' butt and boogers, who are risking getting COVID every single week. But look, parents, teach your kids this. One, I, mean, again, I'm, I hate telling you the things I think I'm doing that are good, but there's not a whole lot of them. But one of the things I try to tell my boys is before you leave your classroom, make sure you tell your teacher thank you. For being there, for showing up, for, for, for learning this lesson, and for dealing with these front-row classes. Like, make sure you tell the teacher thank you. When you check your kid out, don't get frustrated that there's a line to check your kid out. Praise God that we have enough kids that there's a line, one. And then two, tell your teacher before you all leave. Tell, hey, thank you for showing me out here. I can't raise them by myself. Thank you for being here and helping me out. This, again, this is what church is supposed to be about. And, and this is the stuff that just warms our heart when we actually experience it. So he says, encourage one another. Now, he gives them a deadline. It's his way of putting a stop clock to it. And here's why he does this. When you know how much time you have left, you tend to make the time you have now matter more. When you know that we're not just floating through and things are just going to magically just dissipate into some dystopian universe and everything's just going to be peaceful and easy. When you know that that's not how life is going to be, that there's actually going to be this line in the sand, what the Bible calls the day of judgment, where God is going to judge the living and the dead based off of what they did with his son Jesus, the faith they either put into him or didn't put into him, and then he's going to determine where they go into eternal bliss and heaven with him, or to eternal misery, pain, and hell away from him. There's going to be this day. 
He says, because there's going to be this line in the same day where this judgment moment is going to happen, you have to live this way all the more. Because what we understand and know and realize is that not everybody is a part of this family. Not everybody is, is in the cluster of grapes. There's a bunch of marbles out there. And the amazing thing about God is he can turn marbles into grapes. He can graft them into this vine that Jesus is in. But what's wild is he uses us to do that. I'm crazy. Stretch your imagination. To bring these people in because there's this day. And we won't have a chance to love in a way that's crazy about it. Because it'll be too late for each other. So in Hebrews 3 3 5, it says this Encourage one another, and all the more as you see today. Capital D. He's not just talking about tomorrow or the next day. He's talking about finding a, a, a realistic mark in God's calendar today when Jesus returns. So to see the day, I think this is our problem. Part of our problem. Part of my problem. I don't live my life with as much sense of urgency as I should. Knowing that there's going to come a day where I will never be able to preach the gospel again. There will never come a day where I'm able to take a knee in front of the two Little League baseball teams that I coach and play with those Little League kids a little bit and hope and pray and invite those the top ten list of things that you worried about the most this week. Job stuff, big family purchases, school things, little conflicts between you and a co-worker, all sorts of little stuff. Man, I don't see anything really important. He's saying, I need you to see that there's going to come a day everybody's going to be judged based on what they did to Jesus. And live your life and love with your life and do good works to affect Jesus knew that this was a reality that we're all going to face. This is why he said what he did in Matthew 24. Let me read this. Let me read this as well. Jesus said, and then, he's talking about what's going to happen at the end. Can you tell me if some of this kind of feels like what we're going through? And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Crazy enough that we see them two together. Sorry for processing out loud with you right here. Um, thank you, Holy Spirit, for this hit for me. Um, isn't it wild that once we all got really lonely during COVID, we came out of COVID more divided? Like, I think those go together. It's all part of the team. The more lonely He can make you, the more divided you feel. The more you hate the other side. The more you hate the other. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. For sure. See that happening all the time. And because lawlessness will be increased, see that, right? Because lawlessness is increased, the love of many will grow cold. It's hard to love people. So this is what's going to look like when we're headed towards the end. Because that day is going to end. But then he gives us hope, he gives us encouragement. 
he gives us a, a, a way out, a thing to hold on to, a hold fast to, to step one, to endure to the end, for the faith. And my friend, I hope that everything in me, that that is not just you, but that is for us. That we are counted among the ones who endure to the end, that we refuse to let the love of God grow cold in us. to not let the love of God grow cold in you is to look to the cross, the blazing, white-hot center of the love of God. Where Jesus said, I am going to be ostracized, pushed outside the circle. I'm going to be rejected and abandoned. I'm not going to have anybody to uh, give me this access. I'm going to grant you access, but be denied it. I'm going to tell my Father from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Thank you.